Good afternoon and welcome to optimizing your software testing process to increase throughput and user satisfaction. A health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Tricentis. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. Uh, send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. Nice way to view the screen is you click in the top center, get it in side-by-side -side mode, then you can adjust the divider to get the slides and the video boxes the size you want, and it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Arthur Ream, Senior Director of IT Applications and CISO with Cambridge Health Alliance, Josh Wery, Director of Data Management and Analytics at Bay State Health and the CTO of TechSpring, which is the incubator uh, of Bay State Health, and Will Berry, Director of Consulting with Tricentis. So let's jump right in uh, for our conversation. Art, can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Yep, Cambridge Health Alliance is a three hospital system in the city of uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, Everett and Somerville. With 18 primary care clinics, we are the public health commission for the city of Cambridge. So it's a quasi public organization. Uh, the hospitals are acute care hospitals, but they are not like NICU advanced care hospitals. Uh, we have a large behavioral health population and we serve the greater uh, Boston area uh, for primary care and behavioral health. My role there is a chief information security officer, both of the health system, um, the health department for the city of Cambridge and our self-insured uh, program. Very good, Art, thank you. Josh? Um, Bay State Health is an IDN located in um, Springfield in Western Massachusetts, um, consisting of five hospitals. Our primary hospital, Bay State Medical Center, is um, roughly about 800 beds, 12,000 employees, 3,100 uh, 3, physicians, and 80 medical practices. Um, our system includes um, level one trauma center, urban health center, home care services, hospice, regional reference lab, and then the um, University of Massachusetts Medical School as well. Um, my role as the Director of Data Management, Analytics, and CTO for TechSpring um, basically covers and oversees the Center for Excellence for Analytics and Data Management at Bay State, um, our Enterprise Integration Team and Service Bus, um, mobile and web development, um, and then I oversee um, also the development and system engineering of Cerner Electronic Medical Record. Very good. Thanks, Josh. Will? Yeah, hey, I'm Will Berry. I'm with Tricynthus. Um, Tricynthus is the leader in uh, continuous testing. Um, we're responsible for delivering quality at the speed of change. Um, my role uh, uh, for the past four years has been a director of consulting, where I've worked with some of our largest customers about structuring QA organization and testing practices around automation. Um, currently now, I'm transitioning into a new role where I'm working with our customer base on how to get the most value out of their organization from a quality standpoint. Quality, okay, very good. All right, uh, next question. We're gonna start with Josh on this. What is the process for deciding which user requested software customizations are made? How do these customizations align with other planned updates driven by the vendor or IT? 
Um, so over the years, we've, we've evolved a lot in how we actually handle requests and customizations. Um, we've worked very hard now in putting in some pretty standardized intake and demand processes um, for those requests coming in. So now we have governance and oversight committee that those requests go to. Um, over the years, as our EMR has evolved, our other systems have grown, um, we've realized the impacts of any kind of um, customization or upgrade. So now most requests, um, even the smaller ones, go through some type of vetting and um, governance structure. We also have an architecture group we've established um, that's basically architects and technical leads across our um, division to actually review each of these requ requests coming in. Um, and some of the, ta the tactics we take there first is, do we have something that can already do this? Um, is there already something in place? Is this something that could be achieved through uh, workflow as opposed to customization? And then from there, um, we really dig into that, that, that technical impacts of our system, our function, and our workflow with those customizations. Um, as part of that, we then work with our vendors and see how that aligns with their roadmaps as well. Um, it's, a, it's a heavier process. It takes longer to get something through vetting, um, but it also protects us on the other end as we get into uh, implementation. Very good. Lots, uh, lots to go into there. Um, Art, what are your thoughts? Yeah, they're on the. Uh, they're similar uh, on the line of Josh. Um, particularly, we have uh, we have groups of individuals that are that are disciplined in their particular areas in the software, uh, and evaluate the requests coming in from the from the users, and then it goes to a larger forum if it's impacting multiple divisions. Um, you know, like Josh had mentioned. Uh, and it evaluates whether it's the right thing to do when we make these changes. Uh, the customizations, you know, obviously, we do have a programming unit uh, in, in IT that does the programming and the testing uh, across the board if we decide to undertake a customization. We try not to do it too much with the software vendors and talk to them just like Josh does and say, look, is this on your roadmap in six months, three months? We also have a process where we gauge the request based on a set number of criteria. So in other words, you have to, we have a set number of criteria that the user has to do, like financial impact, clinical impact, and it's a scoring system that we rank. And if you, you know, there's various questions to each category, there's six categories. And depending on where it scores in that determines whether we're gonna undertake it, you know, ahead of the vendor being able to do it. So in other words, the vendor says, eh, it's a year out, we'll custom program it and hopefully we'll be able to back it in with them and they'll be able to code over it and we'll actually be able to, you know, absorb it as standard code from that point forward. As you know, and Josh knows and everybody here, when you start doing a lot of customizations, it's quick and easy to break something. Uh, and when you take regular updates to the, to the core software, it tends to be an issue with IT uh, to test and make sure, it, you know, functionality stays in place. That's really interesting uh, you, how you described that process of making changes, dealing with the vendor, finding out what they're up to, um, and then how, you know, that term used the backing it in. Um, very interesting. Will, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think very much in line with what you've heard from Art and Josh, m most of what we see kind of uh, from the industry is moving in the direction of configuration over customization. We want to find tools that allow us to be able to um, set things up the way that we want without having to build our own custom solutions. Um, one of the things that, that Josh made point to is that this really important is that testing begins kind of all the way at the front of the, the organization when these requirements come in, where you vet and decide whether or not these are things that work 
um, across the application portfolio and what you're trying to accomplish and whether or not you have channels in order to be able to do that. So you want to make sure that you're always kind of starting up there in the beginning with even testing the validity of the requirement. Uh, one of the things that I kind of really enjoy about the healthcare organization is they have kind of a very solid root in quality assurance when it comes from like a patient matter. And if you think about the way, you know, the old statement, you know, treat the patient, not the problem, like we need to look at testing and our organization in somewhat of that same kind of magnitude that if you focus too much on like an individual object, you lose the view of the impact from an overall company perspective. And I think you heard both um, Josh and Art kind of communicate that in their process that they're looking at. All right, next question, Art. We're going to start with you on this one. What is your process for customizing software such as the EHR, ERP, and CRM? How are changes made, tested, and then introduced into production to reduce the likelihood of errors? Have you had to adjust or adopt new strategies as your software has evolved? Yeah, pretty much like I mentioned earlier. Um, so we, overall, there ends up being a need on the end, end user base. So they're going to they're gonna do the ask across the board and say, okay, I need this functionality in the EHR, the ERP, the CRM. Um, oftentimes, because we have a large vendor for that, those, those products, we have found two things. A, it's on the roadmap down the road for the vendor, and we evaluate that, that timing. B, we've already got it and just don't know it because they're so large and we may not know the functionality is in there and the ability to do it at this point in time. So we consult with obviously your representatives at the, at the, uh, at the vendor level. And if we decide to undertake it, it goes through that process that I mentioned before. It goes the scoring process. Uh, we decide if we're going to code it in there. If the vendor says it's a year out, we really need it. We'll do the coding for it. We'll run it through our, our testing scenarios. So in other words, if it was for the EHR and a particular clinical area, we'll run it through a, a full range of scripts that run through you know, a, real, you know, a real fake patient and go through the iterative testing. So we do the unit testing. Then we'll flow through the full integrated testing for the downstream system, see if it does anything wacky, should it be sending something through the interface engine. And then we'll QC it after that and do all of the, um, you know, the documentation. And then we'll roll it live um, from that point forward. Um, then we actually catalog those customizations so that we know each time we go through a, an upgrade or, a, or an update, we know we have to check those customizations down the road. Very good, Josh. Um, similar, similar processes. Um, as as a change or customization comes in, and um, to sidetrack a little bit, but a little bit, what Will said there is, you have you have configuration, you have customization, and with Cerner and our EMR, those kind of intertwine a bit because Cerner allows a lot of configuration, so much so you really start customizing because you're you're straying from the path of um, Cerner's model hospital build. Um, so even in configuration pathway, we still have to be pretty careful about that um, as far as what we can what we can break in those those processes. Um, but as something comes in, we put it through the process, right? A pretty standard um, running through a 10% build in uh, in a build environment, right? To, to vet out the, the change of the customization. From there, we move to a dev environment to 100% build. Um, throughout these processes, we do different levels of testing. We do unit testing, um, usually a couple rounds of unit testing. Once we do the 100% build. 
then we'll look at doing um, some, some level of system and integrated testing to see the impacts of downstream and upstream flows. Um, from there, um, we usually then go to production, right? There's a, there's a pretty rigorous process of how to get it to production, um, the implementation plan, how to back out for uh, production if you run into any issues, and then command center and other type of support once we get those configurations and changes into, um, into production. Um, as far as adjusting strategies, right, as things are evolving, the system is getting more complex, we're trying to be more robust in our testing processes. Um, we're still really hands at the keyboard, um, test scripts and testing processes. We do need to automate and we're looking at starting to go down some of those pathways. Um, the other thing we're trying to do is have mo more robust um, non-production systems. So in some cases, like our integration engine, um, we have a stage environment that actually receives production feed. So as a last step, we move all of our code into the stage environment. It runs against production feeds for a week, sometimes a month, to actually let it process against true production without impacting production. Then once that looks good, then we make the change to actually move into production. Um, there's, that's heavy. There's a cost to that. Um, so we can't afford to do that across all of our systems right now, whether it's resource capacity or money. Um, but that, you know, for us, that's an ideal pathway. Um, it allows us to put that last last check in place to really truly validate against production. Well, what are your thoughts on what you're hearing? Yeah, I mean, the the approach is great, and I think that one of the things that we have to keep in mind is exactly what Josh was saying. No matter where you're buying your your software from, whether it's a vendor or you're you're building this um, yourself, um, you have to think about how it's how it's designed and the use cases around that. And, and Josh kind of alluded to it with with Cerner as as you start to take your business approach and work with your business, these applications take on an entirely different life form than the, maybe the vendor intended to. So you have to be very um, direct in the approach to the way that you test your software because it's relevant to your processes and your people. And I think that this is where, you know, when you look at your testing and, and how you're going to get testing more in the, in the direction of the business, you've got to leverage your SMEs a whole lot, your subject matter experts, and you need to empower them with tools that allow them to be able to do things like automation so that they can create assets that align again to that whole direction that you're trying to take that product and be able to develop that product. And then because they're automated assets, you're able to get much more visibility or execution time against those. So you're able to test the changes on a much higher frequency. Um, and this ultimately drives down the, the issue of error. Um, the other thing that I think that is really important when you're talking about these critical business systems is the risk that is, a, is associated to them. And they all have, in, in each of them, they all have their own different levels of risk in terms of the area that you're looking at. Um, in the healthcare, if you talk about customer billing or customer data, I mean, the risk is exponential and you have to make sure that there's high degree of testing around those systems. Um, you might be uh, have a little bit more flexibility in some other areas. So one is what, what you're really trying to do is understand that even as, um, even as you're making just configuration changes, you're evolving that application in a direction that you need to be able to understand and measure. Um, you need to be able to associate risk to how you're going about testing and make sure that you're always covering a large portion of your risk um, as what you might potentially expose. 
And then you want to be able to leverage the, the skills of your business to be able to validate that and being able to put them in a position to be successful. So those are kind of the three things. And, and I think that, you know, that pushes you towards being able to be confident in a release and avoid what, what I kind of call the, the avocado release, which is we think we did everything. We think we have it all right, but we're not sure we're, we're quite right. Or if anybody's had opened an avocado, you know, you sit there, you look at it, you look at it. But you never <laughs> until you open it up. And I think that that's where we are sometimes with our releases. We're wondering, did I do all the right things before I go to production? And it's kind of this avocado for us. And until we put it in production, we're not sure. So we want to get better tools, better measures um, in the back end to know exactly what's taking place there. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think, go ahead, go ahead, Art. Yeah, one of the things that, you know, both Josh and, and Will mentioned is that, you know, the heavy re we're currently considering or trying to find a, a reasonable solution to automate those scripts and those testings with somebody that can actually put in the different steps. You know, I mean, we do it currently on a, on a paper format and track it and we know what the steps are, but ultimately that takes six or seven analysts or testers or SMEs to go down through those scripts and go down through that testing and ultimately you really can only cycle it so many times because you're running on human capital to get it done. I mean, you're constantly buttoned up against these people need to do other work because we don't have in our organization, a testing unit that does nothing but that. So if you had some automated, you know, fashion that you could run through the different steps that would cross platforms uh, and manage that and run through it and go to a fail point and say that this didn't work out. And um, I know there's some products out there that we're starting to look at that and starting to embrace that as a quicker, better way to, you know, test these type of things. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about um, the process of deciding which changes are going to get made. Um, Will was talking about risk, which was very interesting to, to determine the level of risk involved with a request to change. And I was thinking that, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into this. I know we all talked about governance uh, committees and all that kind of thing. But you're trying to, to to put a lot of things into that decision. Um, I use the term the intensity of the request. Um, how intense is the request? How many is it a volume of people? Is it the number of people that have requested it? Well, not all people. Let's be honest. Not all users are created equal. Um, you could have a, a high-powered surgeon asking for something that's going to have a different level of weight behind it than. Um, low-level people in the organization. So I don't know if that informally gets factored in, those kind of things, or, or, if, or if they can be formally factored in, the number of people who's asking. And then, Art, you mentioned about the vendor feedback. Um, and I don't know if you get to the point ever where the vendor says, we don't want you to do this, right, as opposed to we're going to do it at this point or we're not going to do it. And you say, well, we're going to do it. And they say, well, we don't want you to do it. Does that ever happen, Art, where you get pushback? Um, if I get the chief of anesthesia that wants something, he's going to push on the CEO. He's going to push on me, but I've always called back on, okay, you actually ranked it with our questions and have embraced it because you were participating in, in deciding the questions and, and waiting and ranking. So we actually call them back on the table and say, look, you know, you ranked it this way. It's above all these other things. It's not, you know, They'll always, in healthcare, they'll always pull the patient safety card every single time. <laughs> you know what it is, it's patient safety 
but we could be dispensing, um, you know, uh, a peanut butter sandwich, for God's sake, out of dietary and it's patient safety. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is the gravity is they will pull that card. Uh, and then we have to have these conversations, which is really good in IT, uh, or particularly in our IT department. We have a physician's informatics, we have a nursing informatics, and we have a CMIO who is able to talk to their level. The IT geek like me can talk all day long to one of the surgeons or the anesthesia, but they have a different level of engagement when you start talking provider to provider, nurse to nurse, physician to physician, you know. Um, and it's a different conversation within IT and the end users when you start down that road. But to answer your question, there certainly is definitely uh, a political um, hierarchy that happens with everything. I mean, it, we're not unique in healthcare, but it, it's there. Josh, do you think that gets taken care of uh, by the governance that you have in place where you don't have to worry about that? That sort of all gets washed out by the time it comes to you. You're just going to be executing. Um, but I am I am curious about the risk level that that may have to be communicated by someone like you back to the business or the operations people to say, yeah, you want this, but here's why we really might not want to do it. Um, I would love to say that's the case, right? That it doesn't come to me first, right? Or start in our area. Um, we want to get there, right? That's absolutely our goal, right? Is we want to empower the business and clinical groups. And we do have governance established, right? And oversight committees that do sit on that side of the house. Um, but generally it's still us taking requests, bringing those requests to them to then walk through that. Um, so we have been establishing as part of our application review board is some of those things are brought in from us. To that so we 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 start just like our we have kind of a waiting system right of how does it align to strategy how does it align and impact clinical care how many how many people does this touch in the organization whether it's clinicians or patients right we do have a scoring system there but part of our discovery process before we take to the review committee is also doing an IT analysis so this is security review architecture review um, system impacts and those things are also brought to those review boards so we are bringing these items to them. And then as part of that, we bring in the scoring, but then we also bring the INT impacts, right? And our organization has learned um, through a lot of pain points over the years um, that customizations have, have had to be un unwinded, right? And brought back. So our leaders are starting to understand the impact. And when we say that if we do this customization, we now have a vendor Cerner that is saying, you can do that, but we're not gonna support that. So if you have a production issue that falls into those lines, we can't support you unless that directly falls into something that our code is responsible for. Um, so that does get weighted, weighted in there. Very interesting. Um, Will, I, I, I read a book recently called The Phoenix Project, which I imagine a lot of IT people know about. Um, and one of the concepts in there, concepts in there was um, IT understanding how delicate a system may be uh, or an application. And changes to that are not as easy as you might think, because it's it's easily breakable. Um, what are your thoughts about that, or anything else that that the uh, our panelists have said? Yeah, uh, I think you know what when we started this, I, the thing that clicked in my mind is that NASCAR expression: "If you're not rubbing, you're not racing." And I think that innovation always has some level of risk to it. It's about pushing a little bit further than everybody else to be able to get into some type of market share. 
So when you're looking at the fragility of what you have kind of from an architectural perspective um, and, and a process perspective, really, you know, you want to take all of that in mind and you want to understand it and you want to understand it globally, because if you go to, you know, somebody in an individual area like a claims department, they're going to say that they have the highest risk, that they're the most exposed. But you might also go over to somebody that's in the patient area and they're going to say, no, 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 it's, it's us. And if you let everyone measure their risk, you're going to end up kind of with everything is impossible. But if you can get down to like a level where you really understand these core processes and what those outcomes are, you can really get to a spot where you understand, you know, how we push innovation and then what we're kind of exposing there. Because, um, you know, you, you have to think through it. I think that's why I also said earlier that testing begins at the requirement. Like you've got to think longer. You don't want to think short term because then you create technical debt. But you want to you want to be able to push those envelopes of what the business is seeing and what the business wants to drive. So you need to be ready to be able to address it through through some channel. All right. Very good. Let's go to our, our next question. Uh, we're going to start with Josh. Uh, if newly updated or cost customized software doesn't work as planned, what's your process for getting the errors diagnosed and fixed? Um, so I touched on that lightly before. So we, um, as part of our implementation steps, um, and the more complex it is, the more rigorous those implement implementation steps are. We have, you know, we have established command center for triaging um, issues coming in, so that's everything from first level to third level support, um, which could include the vendor as well, engaged during that that cutover um, of, of that code itself. Um, as part of that, we also have backout plans, right? So that's always one of the first steps you look at is, right, as soon as there's an issue, mostly it's an impactful issue, right? Can we back that out? Can we revert to the previous stage? A lot of times you can't, right? Or that that is so involved, right? You don't wanna, you don't wanna pull that right away. Um, so what we usually try to do is step very quickly into understanding the process um, and then we try to recreate, right? So we step back into the earlier environments, right? That 10% build, that 100% environments, we try to recreate it there very, very quickly based off of the workflows that have been described to us. Um, hopefully there we can identify that process. We usually have the vendor engaged at that point and they're engaged as well in troubleshooting and investigating. Um, in some cases we're in production, turning on logs, doing other items like that to really get to that root cause. Um, at this point then, once we identify that issue, then we run it through that same chain. It's exactly the same process. It's expedited of course, right? But we still go through you know, one or two domains. We do another round of testing validation we're not breaking something else with that change or fix that we're just about to implement right and then we go through the communication process and then we execute that change um how often do you want to make a change that the vendor says you know we're we're not going to have any part of that so you're on your own with that one and then that's more risk right because then you mentioned talking to the vendor for some help they're not there to help if you've gone ahead when they advise you not to uh, we're a lot less likely to do that these days. Um, yeah. We are very much so aligned with Cerner, Cerner's roadmap. Um, Cerner has their model healthcare system, right, that we're aligning to. And so in some cases, we're reverting those configurations, those customizations mm. that we've gone five, 10 years in the past, right, to align to that model system. So we can get that right level of support um, and then standardize workflows um, with Cerner, but also with, with our national standards as, as well. Art? Um, unlike Josh, we tend to push a little bit harder on Epic, um, and what we want to change and how we want to change it. Um, 
Uh, we were one of the first when they didn't support uh, running it on Linux. And we sat it on Linux and said, we're going to do it this way in 2003. And they said, we don't support it. We only do HP and this. And we said, well, okay, we're doing it this way. Uh, lo and behold, that's our preferred platform at this point in time. So we tend to push a little bit more than than than, than in Josh's area, um, but we do we do actively consider their roadmap. I mean, you know, just like Cerner, they're just cranking through you know best practices, and mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes it's hard to keep up with us. And that takes me back to the original comment about doing some software customizations. I think at times the functionality might actually already be there and we're just, it's just such a behemoth. We're going, we want to do this and Epic will go, or one of the, you know, tech services groups will go, it's already here. You know, here's the note on it. Here's the programming note on it. Just put it in, you know, so we tend to, as an organization, or I think other organizations tend to get a little bit behind in their development and understanding what their development is. We're taking updates every quarter. So every three months we're on the cycle. And the amount of change that comes through that is, hard to quantify and understand. So you need to value the vendor's input and say, well, we're gonna have it next quarter. Okay, well, we'll wait for that. Or it's already there because we didn't know it because there's just so much functionality in there and development that we can't possibly at times keep up with all the notes and the releases, you know, the release notes, you know, we're not using that part of it, but all of a sudden, hey, yeah, you can just do it, here it is. Um, so that's a challenge I think for us as well. and. Like you said, when we do the testing and everything, uh, and, and, and to Josh's point, change control requires a backup plan, or it requires you to actually say, if you can't back this out, this is the ramifications and we have to keep moving forward mm -hmm. and now we need to fix it. Um, so it, it, before it gets approved by the board to move forward and go live, that's what happens. Um, you gotta have your plan set to say, and you gotta have your plan so solid here at Cambridge that if it's Art's plan and Art gets run over by a bus, then Josh can go back this out by following the instructions that are in that plan. He can go do that without me uh, and understands it. So there's always that give and take. Uh, is it perfect? Probably not all the time, but that's that's our mode. Will, do you, what are your thoughts? I mean, uh, do you have any advice on um, dealing with one's software vendor when changes are um, not totally lining up, meaning there's, there's, it's, it's not as simple as, oh, we've got that, or that's no problem. When it's a different kind of feedback from the vendor, uh, and it's more involved, it may not be absolutely not, or we'll have no part of it, but it's something more nuanced. What's your advice on, on dealing with that situation? Yeah, um, you know, I think that when, when you look here, the, the frequency of change that we're subject to kind of in the digital era is, is one that it, it doesn't even become about a vendor. You know, it becomes about what you do for yourself. You know, there's the concept of shift left, which we talked about. You know, if we can get testing all the way up there at the requirement and do the right things at the requirement, we know that we'll suffer less defects because we're putting more forethought up into what we're bringing into the system. But there's also a concept of shift right. And what that needs to be is we've got to get automation and testing assets closer to production that run at a high frequency. Because where we are as an industry is one we have, um, or just in kind of the whole digital market, what, where we have um, you know, Windows now releasing changes on a quarterly basis, we have um, Chrome releasing them on a, on a weekly basis. And we're, we're subject to so much higher degree of change 
that we need to be accounting for that because some of these things aren't taking places simply in releases. They're taking places, they're taking place in business as usual. So we, we've got to have a focus there. Um, and then also what you're trying to do is, is like what Art said, you're always trying to have your, your, your next realm of, of solutions ready to go, or, or you need to have some type of speed to be able to get those into production to mitigate those issues, or you need to have some type of exit strategy. So you've always got to have plan A, B, and C as far as what you're doing for when something's introduced. Um, and finally, my final thought is, um, you know, when we talk about an application, it, it becomes kind of fairly straightforward. I made this change to this application and I deployed it and now I have this problem. And so I know what I need to do. But a lot of times the way we're operating is on a project basis. And it's like, I have this business vision that I want to implement and it's gonna to touch six or seven different par parts of our company. And we need to move those into, into production. And it becomes much more ambiguous in terms of like where that change was. So you have got to have this, this high degree again of just being able to validate that all assumptions are met as well as I think now with like the whole DevOps movement, you're seeing people break things down into more application-based as opposed to kind of more project-based to avoid that project blindness. All right, next question. Um, many say software customization is necessary, but excessive customization can negate the benefits of having an enterprise and interoperable software platform. We've seen this in very large health systems that span multiple spates and have, you know, very large health systems where you have regions um, and the customization that's done to an enterprise piece of software uh, leaves them almost on different systems and they have interoperability challenges. Um, and, and Josh, you were talking about customization versus configuration and how it sounded like you were saying configuration, which you would think you'd be safe doing. It sounds like you're working within the, the, the space you're allowed to play can make you leave you almost in the same position as if you'd customized. Is that right? Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, we, yeah, absolutely. And we've definitely ran into those scenarios of the year. So certainly you get back 15, 20 years ago, um, that was something Cerner prided themselves in was their flexibility in their systems and their flexibility was a combination of um, configurations you can do, and you can do extreme configuration flex, uh, uh, flexes in different directions, along with uh, developmental tools that you can program directly into Cerner as well to enhance things. Um, the problem was as Cerner grew and their clientele expanded, they had to manage literally thousands, hundreds if not thousands of different code levels and code bases, right? Because their clients run all different code sets. And when you were configuring to those edge cases, right, that they weren't necessarily completely accounting for. Um, as you started to upgrade, those edge cases would start, start burning you in your, in your, your customizations or your custom configurations um, to the point where Cerner has, you know, brought their clients in now over the years to get to within a couple, uh, you know, a couple code releases, much more standardization. As part of that, we like I said, we, we brought back a lot of those extreme configurations that really can align to Cerner's roadmaps right, of what they do. Um, when it comes to customizations um, now, so the configurations have been reined in a bit. There's still more, there's still a lot of flexibility there, but we try not to stray too far into those edge cases. Um, from a customization perspective, right, we're, we're now doing more development. So we're doing mobile development, we're doing um, smart and fire development. So when 
Cerner doesn't meet something that we need from a workflow or process perspective, we actually looked at, can we develop a very, very pointed process or solution that can embed within Cerner or can integrate um, as opposed to modifying this behemoth, right? Um, so we've had, we've had some good luck there. Cerner's doing it, Epic's allowing, you know, smart on fire. So you're allowed to do these very purpose-built workflows, right, um, with, these, with these development tools without modifying the EHRs themselves. All right, just, uh, just tell me a little bit more about this process. Um, Josh used the word embed and integrate. You used the word back in. So this is what we're talking about is when you make customizations to a vendor product, somehow they reabsorb what the, the changes you've made. Is that only if they like it and think they're worthwhile and want to make it part of what they offer? Now, how does that work? So if we make the customization similar to, to Josh and we work along with the vendor and we code it, um, there's, there's what we, what we kind of term a community library. So in other words, the library, it publishes it and people can take advantage of that in other institutions. If Epic allows you to publish it to the community library, you can use the content if we so, de so desire. Um, and oftentimes what they'll end up doing is they'll look at that and go, We've actually heard from our development teams and our and our tech services this request 300 times across 300 different clients. Right, Cambridge has coded it, so we're actually coding for them. They massage it, put it in there to make sure it becomes part of their rev. Uh, in the next release, we've actually coded it for them, so they're actually using their customers to do some development for them across the board. Uh, you know, you don't end up getting price breaks, but the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, that integration and that back and forth sometimes goes both ways. We are supporting them and they're supporting us. Uh, and then it gets baked into their product at that point forward. Will, your thoughts are on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with the, the way that you partner with a vendor and you start to co-develop. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, you, you have to, the innovation is, is what's really driving some of this this change, and since you're the first to innovate, sometimes you're the leader in that space, and you have to, you know, assess the risk and, and go out there and make that change. And then what you see is the competition starts to follow, and then vendors say, "Well, this was a good change, and we should, we should totally take this on." Um, I think this also goes into, you know, the 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 cycles that applications go through. I mean, we're talking. Josh was saying Cerner, 15 years of Cerner, and if you're if you're not constantly like working in this way of like kind of cleansing, you're creating this technical debt. And like what you could end up with is a configuration where maybe there's 100 or 200 fields now on a page and that load time starts to suffer. And I think that this is from a software platform and an end user standpoint where you start to see people circumvent the system. Now, now it's easier for me to put something on a sticky note than it is to enter it into this. And I, I think this is really where analytics kind of help and, and time projections of analytics. As far as if you look at, you know, execution of a test case and if, if hopefully if it's automated, you can look at it and you can say, ah, it takes two minutes to, to run this test case at, you know, Greenfield launch of this application. And then over time, as you're making these configurations and customizations, you're seeing this process extend, you know, to four minutes or, or to five minutes. And if you basically put 10x on that, you understand now what the manual user is going through, you know, the end user is going through. And, and you can actually start to kind of assess this and project this te technical debt that you're creating by adding these customizations or configuration changes in, in large quantities. 
All right, we're going to go to my favorite part, um, our Ask a Co-Panelist feature. Uh, Will, why don't you go first? Do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, my question would be, you know, when when you look at what you're doing from a from a technology standpoint and, and from like uh, a speed to market, you know, how big of a role do you put quality in that seat as far as like one of the driving changes for being able to get that innovation faster? Art, why don't you go first? So we rely heavily on the coding quality of the product that we're going to turn out. In other words, we don't, we don't force it down. Um, you know, some of these things are relatively complicated um, coding to get done and testing to it. So we try not to sacrifice the quality um, where we run up against issues at times with this is when there's a severe patient uh, experience of care, which were, which is part of quality um, and or a patient safety issue. Um, typically, and I'm, I'm fairly sure Josh's vendors do this as well, if you end up with a, a patient safety issue, they're gonna jump on it with you at the same time for all of their, you know, all of their uh, uh, accounts. Um, for a quality issue on the coding, we look back towards, that's one of the ranking um, things is, you know, patient experience of care and quality. What is the impact that this will do for that category on your rank of coding? So in other words, is it gonna make patient experience of care and quality better if we code this outside of cycle and do that? That's one of the ranks that are in that ranking that I was talking about when we decide to do something. And then that drives us, you know, you know we have to pay attention to the quality of coding um, and then, and then what we're always continually following up on in that case is we're now going to take the next revision in three months. Are we going to break that? What we just did is Epic going to change something in their coding and their base code that we now need to test that and then recode that. So to Josh's point and, and Will's earlier, we've got all of this um, going on at the same time and we end up with you know, constant juggling to make sure that we don't break anything over time and, and, and watch the code that we do. Josh? Um, yeah, I think I think Art hit it pretty well. I mean, quality is part of every aspect of that, that request coming in through through the execution, right? Um, so it's quality in coding, it's quality in execution, it's quality in testing. Um, it's highly, highly important, right? Um, it, it suffers when it's urgent, right? Your, your, your quality can suffer, and that's something you have to be careful about. And, right, that's why you have good processes in place to hopefully hopefully catch, you know, right, uh, potential areas where you have quality issues. So that's why you have robust testing plans, you have ro robust uh, change control processes, why you do code code reviews. Um, but it's, it's, it's one of the most important things to think about through the, through the different stages of the, of the process. Art, right, do you have a question for your co-panelists? I would be interested to understand if they've used any automated testing tools and any experience about that or given it thought in their organizations either way. Josh? Um, we really don't today. Um, I, it, we, it's important. We've had lots of discussions over the years um, around automated testing processes and tools, right? I, I think very similar to what you had said, right? We're, we're hands at the keyboard, we're many resources um, writing test plans, executing test plans, re-executing um, test plans. Um, we'd love to get past that. We'd love to speed that up. We'd like to use our resources to do the smart good work, 
right? And things like testing that could be automated, you know, right? right? We want to we want to take those responsibilities off of them. Um, this actually would lead into a question I have for Will, which is around that he spends so much time um, and resources, right, running test plans and implementing. We've had a hard time redirecting those resources to put effort into automation and going towards automated solutions. And I'm curious um, how you see people tackle that. Yeah, so we, we definitely see people tackle this through our through our software, through our automation software, because what it's doing is, I think when you look at automation, there's there's build your own where you create your own framework, or there's going through like a vendor like Trisynthesis where it is what we've done. We've created this framework that we provide this user interface for people to be able to very easily go in and learn to automate, and they experience something that's much more like application driven, something that they're much more familiar with. And the power of that is then allowing those SMEs to be able to empower themselves to do something like create automation and be able to then leverage that time that they wouldn't normally have because of manual testing to help drive other businesses initiatives. So by being able to, to give them a tool to be able to learn a skill like automation that they hadn't previously been able to do, you empower your people, and then you have huge gains from an organization standpoint because each time you run that automated asset, you're saving money and you're 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 getting value. So that that's kind of how we approached it is is making sure that we're developing a solution that works for the user to be able to learn and empower themselves, and that's where we've had a huge success is being able to go in, recognize all this value that you have from a people person um, perspective and then giving them something that allows them to drive themselves forward. And then it also helps the company because then it allows them to use developers and engineers more driven towards innovation and good good code for customizations as opposed to working on test frameworks. All right, let's go with some final thoughts here. Uh, final piece of advice based on your experience, something you found has worked well or, or, you know, you've learned over time that this is a best practice that you've identified. A little parting word of advice for our audience. Art, why don't you go first? Yeah, so overall, actually, the only parting advice I have is patience. I know everybody is going to drive at you from either direction, but if you don't temper that and have patience inside of IT, we tend to rush things to completion at times. And having that patience and trying to impress upon them, you're doing and set the expectations up. Um, I see managers at times in, in the different areas in IT get really impatient with their analysts and their coders and they're pushing it through because they're getting pressured. It's important that your senior leadership gets in front of you and says, look, you know, you can pressure us. But the fact of the matter is, is that if we do this wrong, you're going to be in a worse space than you were to begin with. So let us go through our iteration. Let us go through our processes. Let us go through our testing. You think it's a valid request, but let us do it the correct way. And often it's just like they're seeing one side of the equation, the patient side of it and what they need in the EHR or the product. And they need it now to do their job. We understand that and articulating, we understand you and hear you, but let us get through the process because it's going to turn out bad on the end run. I mean, and that's my, that's my parting advice, I guess I should say. Very good art. Uh, Josh? Um, when um, customizing or modifying a solution, you know, I think we've talked about this, it's important to have um, vendor and or development alignment as part of that. 
um, not only with the current state, um, but also your roadmap and their roadmap of where you're going. Um, secondarily, it's important to understand um, how far into that edge case you're getting, right? How far is that customization straying within the system, the tool, the platform, the workflow, um, and the potential impacts of that, you know, of that, of that pushing to those edge cases. Um, the cost of a customization ultimately could be extremely significant in the long run if you're not taking into account um, ro your roadmap, better roadmap, planning um, the the amount of uh, reach into those those edge cases. Um, so it's it's important because the overhead on quality control, testing, and support right can be significant over time. Will your final thought? Yeah, um, it's it's changed the measure. Um, so we look at uh, testing as something that it's like, oh, well, we ran 10,000 test cases, so we, we must be ready. Or, or that we, we have this volume of test cases, um, and so we have good coverage. It's, it's look at the risk coverage. Get down, to, get down to risk and then understand how those test cases align to covering that risk. And then start to focus on measuring what you've done from an execution standpoint against that risk. So that will help you greatly reduce the redundancy that you have in your test suites and then being able to execute faster. Well, that was great. I learned a lot. Uh, regarding continuing education, you can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an uh, email when this uh, on-demand recording is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and you can go to our website to register for our upcoming events. With that, I want to thank our excellent panel for a lively and very interesting conversation. Art Ream, Josh Wary and Will Berry, and I want to thank Tricentis for making this event possible, and I want to thank our attendees for coming. With that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.